Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Most of us are conditioned to have this external locus of control where we are validated by the external world, our community, society, family, friends, what we see on TV, and we want to be just like that versus folks who have a general internal locus of control where they are only looking within for their answers. They are needing just the validation of themselves. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. They have my good friend and author, Nitha Bouchon. Not bad, right? You said that really good. You know what? Really good. I feel like it's just, uh, it comes easy with this cowboy hat too. <laughs> like, I've now done a couple episodes in a cowboy hat and I feel like I should be like, ma'am, welcome to the episode. I feel like the accent just got a little thicker right, right when you said that. All of a sudden, I'm from the South. <laughs> Someone once said that I was trying too hard to sound like Matthew McConaughey. So maybe now, even though I was like, never tried that, I don't think I could pull off his accent. It's kind of close. I would say it's pretty close. Well, much obliged for you to be here today. And you're talking about something that I think anyone and every human can relate to. Uh, So Nita has a new book that's called That Sucked, Now What? And I think we can all relate with (laughs) that, with that feeling of, okay, how to embrace the joy in chaos and find magic in the mess. It seems like a tall task, I think, when we're in the old suckety suck. You know, and I'll I'll ask you this six months from now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. I know. Because I'm about to have a baby. I'm like, what's it like? I'm too tired to answer your question. (laughs) I'm really curious. because I think for someone to find the sort of magic in a mess mm-hmm. uh, or the embrace the joy in chaos, I'm curious how you get there. Like, how did you decide, okay, we're going to take people from sucking to, that sounds really bad, but you know <laughs> what I mean, from going from things are horrible to, hey, actually, you can use this. You have to be in the suck many times, not just one time, not just two times, but I think I've been kind of known as like the queen of resilience. And I mean, that's kind of where it starts to live through the suck and to be in the suck and where the suck is so dark and 
long-winded. I feel like I had probably two decades and I didn't realize the magnitude of the depths of those suck moments. And in part one of my book, I actually, I've divided the book into three parts because in order to, by the end, fly forward and fly forward past the suck, I talk about a concept called the bounce factor in part two of the book. But really, we can't bounce back from something if we've not hit rock bottom, if we haven't had a fall. And obviously, I know, you know, I, I, I preach life enthusiasm and life mastery today. And I mean, I bring joy and you know this, we've, we've hung out in all different places around the world to so many communities. But the contrast of that is being and allowing yourself to sit in the sock. And my biggest suck moment was when I fully hit rock bottom. And this was 11 years ago now. I mean, nearly, you know, over a decade. But when I was in it, I I did not, I couldn't see like the end of the tunnel. I was in so much fear. And I had gotten to this really low place in my relationship And I was on the brink of just, first, things got pretty toxic and pretty unhealthy and pretty unsafe for me, where I had to make a conscious decision. I didn't even know what the word conscious was back then, but I needed to make a decision. And honestly, it was haphazardly. It was in the middle of the night. It was December 31st. Oh, wow. It was, I mean, I was in Chicago. And by the way, I had all of the trappings of success. You know, I had the house. I had the fancy cars. I was a cosmetic dentist. And I felt like I was finally getting out of my darkness and this cloud. And I'll explain that in a, in a little bit. But it felt that that day I needed, like my soul needed to make a decision. I don't know if you've ever felt where you're like, okay, the pain has gotten so bad or the situation or something has gotten so bad where you need to make a decision out of what is that next thing Mm -hmm. going to be? And it's so uncertain, but it has to happen in that way. That's where I was. And I remember looking at, I had a really long, you know, a tall mirror, like a, you know, Florida, whatever mirror in my big master bedroom. And I'm looking around, I have the fancy shoes, I have the fancy purses. And I'm like, wow, I've made it like to these, to the outside world. I've made it. This Filipino Indian girl who grew up in Chicago with immigrant parents. I mean, from the outside, everything looked great, but on the inside, I was so lost. I was, I had never before known what this like consistent fear of like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to get hit the next moment was going to feel like. And I felt like I couldn't let anybody in. Mm. And so, because I was afraid for my life. And that day I had to make a choice to come back to myself or stay in that situation. Well, I packed up what I could that day and I left. I put everything in, in my car and I called, you know, it was my brother and my really good friend at the time who, you know, there's people around you that they come in the form of angels and they're, they could be like your ride or die. Like they've yeah. been there through the thick and the thin. And, and so, and they know when you're dating somebody terrible, 
<laughs> All the people who've been through the bullshit or can smell it. And then we like kind of distance from them because we know they're like, hey, you got, you're not in a good place. If you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not, but stop reflecting the truth to me. It's true. And we, yeah. we close off, right? Mm-hmm. So these were the two people that were constantly, constantly like wanting the best and seeing what that potential was for me. And I just wasn't ready until, until I was. And that's what, what happened on December 31st. I finally allowed myself to break down because for so many years, I had been conditioned to put everything in a closet, shove everything under a rug because of this idea that in our Asian household, my upbringing growing up, you don't share those tough emotions. You don't share that you're feeling sad. Mm-hmm. Well, the other part of the story I didn't share was a decade before I went through the most challenging years of my life. I became a caretaker at 10 years old. And then at 16, my mom passed away. She lost her uh, her battle to cancer and she transitioned. A year after that, my brother dies suddenly from having an asthma attack on my youngest brother's birthday. And then two years after that, I know it's a lot, you guys. It's a lot. It's like trauma Olympics. Uh, <laughs> but two years after that, my dad gets this diagnosis and quick story. Uh, you know, when you already feel PTSD because you're like, oh shit, everyone around me is dying. Like what is happening? And I remember vividly, it was, we got our very first invitation after a really long time to our family wedding. And Mm -hmm. you know, in Asian culture, Filipino Indian culture, there's always a wedding and it's what brings everybody together. And I remember, telling my dad, I'm like, you know, Pa, I think we really should, we should go to this. And it was me, my younger brother and him. And I said, we're going to, let's get you all dolled up. Let's, let's, you know, cause there's these slivers of joy. And that's what my subtitle is, is like how to find the joy in chaos. Well, my life was so chaotic at that point where my brother and I thought, okay, we'll dye his hair, his, his silver fox hair. If you think <laughs> of an Indian man with like silver fox hair and we're like, we're going to dye it black so that you can, you know, live your best life and find okay. another single lady uh, at this wedding. And so we get the dye box. And it was like, you know, you get it from, I don't know, present day Target, but maybe this, I don't know. Did you have Venture back in the day? Not in Canada. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, so, yeah, yeah, let's throw right. that in the box. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Very different. Sorry, we didn't get those types of things up north. <laughs> but at Venture, we got the dye and basically we dyed my dad's hair. But as soon as the dye touched my dad's head, he started to have this allergic reaction. And so literally, so my nervous system goes into panic mode because two years before that, we get the call that my brother is getting rushed from school in an ambulance to a hospital and they couldn't revive him. They tried three times. So when I'm seeing this happening, I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, we have to call 911, get the ambulance to come, take him to the hospital. They took all of these tests because that's just what they did. And they found a tumor in his lungs, stage four lung cancer. And they said he had 10 months to live. And so there were so many emotions. I mean, the 
anger, the like, what the fuck is going on? Like, and and me, this like rebellious teenager coming out, I was 18 years old and yelling at the doctors and I had nowhere to really put my rage. I was so angry. I was so mad. I was like, but he's, you know, he's jogging six miles a day. I'm like, I don't want to believe it. But this is like my inner teenager and my inner little girl saying mm-hmm. like, no, don't do this. Don't do this. Doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel fair. Yeah. So that kept coming up. And that was a story I made in my mind of like, why me? Mm. Why me entering into college? And, you know, the overwhelming amount of grief that you're like, whoa, whoa, where do you, where do you go with that? And so he transitioned a month after I turned 19. Wow. And so all this to say, I'm almost entering my 20th year and I'm like, so I, much loss in four years. It's just, it, it was intense. It was like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be that person. I knew my soul was calling for something else. And I begged my grandmother at the time and my aunt who stepped in and they were like helping us out with my younger brother who was five years younger than me. So I was 19 or 20 at this point, And my brother was 15. And I, I begged them. I'm like, I need to just, I need, I need to go and do a semester in Europe. I'm going to, cause I was studying for dental school at this point. And so they allowed me to take some time off. I mean, begrudgingly, because mm-hmm. you know, you don't do that tiger parents <laughs> or tiger parenting just doesn't happen. So, uh, so I get to Rome and literally I get off the flight and I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Wow. I, I don't, I, I feel free. Right. Like I don't have to answer to anyone. And this huge cloud of darkness is still there, but I felt like I could reinvent myself and reinvent another identity for myself that is just discovering myself mm. and and giving space to not be in the suck of my situation because back in Chicago it was so dark it was so heavy hospital rooms for years and then all of a sudden you catapult to this like foreign Italy. land it's like people singing <laughs> on the street gelato I mean, you know it's the quintessential yeah. eat pray love right? right and i get there with so many and by in the way Rome, like what a place to go but have you ever been there in the summer in june the sweltering yeah, june, heat actually I have. okay and hot and hot is like the hottest it's like tar Everywhere. Yeah, you just are sweating. And you're just in it, right? And so, but gosh, have you ever seen the amount of college kids that are there? It's insane. It's it's, So it's all over the world. Don't they all take, they also all take gap gap years. Yeah, so. I remember going there when I was 27 being like, why didn't we have a gap year? Like, why did no one tell me this? I didn't know that was an option, (laughs) you know? So, (laughs) I want to ask about that moving mm-hmm. aspect that you said uh, there was a black cloud still, of course, that makes sense from the grief and the all the loss. Did you find, because you said reinvent yourself, did you find that because you were in a place where you had no established relationships that it allowed you the flexibility to just not be under any former agreements or also that probably everyone around you 
was wanting to be like, I'm so sorry to hear about. And so you were constantly being brought back in. Is that is that fair to say? Oh my gosh, you're so on point because guess what, Mark? Who doesn't want to fit in when they're in high school right. and in college? Yeah. As a young person, like we all want to belong. Like you want to be the kid in the corner that like had a bunch of losses and then everyone feels bad for or constantly is kind of feeling awkward because they don't know what to say. Because guess what? We don't get those trainings in like high school. How do you uh, talk about your... What's the right thing to say right now? I have no idea. (laughs) You know... How do we have even those conversations as a young person, let alone even adults? Like we're so awkward sometimes with even connecting when our friends are going through the shitter that as a young person, you just don't know. So that was my reality for so many years where I learned to be performative, that their awkwardness or their response to me sharing yeah, my mom died. Yeah, my dad died. Or it was just the, I I never wanted to say that. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I felt like so intuitively, well, now I can say intuitively, but I had this really strong feeling when I was 20 to just get out. And and, and I felt like my only escape was, all right, I'm going to go study abroad in, you know, the summer months of Italy in the sweltering heat. But that was... The biggest reprieve, and honestly, it would blow my mind because that's when I started to see different perspective. And, you know, it's, I talk about this in the book. It kind of brought to life uh, this life curriculum in the bounce factor that I talk about, which I've now shared, you know, places like Google. And it's, there's a, Actually, there's two things that I want to say to this, but I'll hold on for that because I want to get into the Italy story. But while I was in Rome, I was like, oh, nobody knows me here. I don't know a lick of Italian. I don't have to share if I'm like, I already knew that self-awareness where if it's not feeling safe around certain people, I don't have to share everything. Mm -hmm. So that's the knowing that I already built and if people are asking those questions, because they will, because I felt like every time we were going to get into like, oh, right. where, where are you, are you from? from? Where yeah, are you from? Yeah. What did your parents do? Because, you know, that's what how you connected yeah. as a kid or as a young person. And and for me, if it was going there, I knew immediately that I could turn and switch it on them and make it about them. Mm. And in that deflection, I found perspective and I found like, oh, well, that person doesn't even have a good relationship with their mom or this person doesn't even talk to their dad or they didn't even see their dad. So it gave me so much perspective that like I thought I was the only victim sitting in my suck and I thought I was the only person going through really wild, you know, trauma, yet other people from different parts of the world were also having this shared experience and it just relieved so much pressure in terms of that I'm carrying all this on my own. And it also sparked this idea that, oh, it doesn't have to be about me. It could actually just mm. be fully. So I became the best question asker. I was a I was a podcast interviewer back then. <laughs> <laughs> you just needed to hit record. You know? <laughs> we need to talk about my morning routine. I'm nailing it. I got meditation, breath work, some cool plunging, workouts. And, you know, most of you have probably tried meditation. I'm guessing for some of you, it is part of your morning ritual. But have you tried breath work? 
That's my question. I took a class on an app that I'm just loving and I'm hooked on it. The app is unbelievable and it's called Open. I had the founder, Minaj Diaz, on the podcast a few times because he's an incredible teacher and he really lives everything that he shares. And the app is incredible. The design is insane. Some of the benefits that I've really experienced from implementing this in my morning routine is I sleep better, I'm less stressed, and I have more energy and focus throughout the day. And the best part about Open is that the classes are under 10 minutes. So it's easy to stick with. It's not like an overwhelming thing. It's actually quite simple. And so usually what I'll do is a meditation, breath work, and then they also have movement classes. So it's easy to just have consistent morning routines because you can go to one place and it's just that much easier. It's definitely different from other mindfulness apps out there and you're definitely going to know what I mean when you try it. You get 30 days for free when you sign up with my code Create the Love. So you just visit withopen.com slash create the love. So again, you get 30 days free, so you got no risk on open, and you just go to withopen, W-I-T-H-O-P-E-N.com slash create the love. Go check it out. Did you find that, because you said that then you started to get perspective that other people suffered in their relationships. I've often thought that one thing about pain, I heard Francis Weller say this, uh, he's a therapist. He said that pain often has a narcissism to it mm. in that it makes us identify as we're the only one and no one else can understand. And of course, as soon as we start sharing our story or asking other people their stories, we realize that we're not the only one who's ever felt lonely or hurt or loss or grief or rage or pain or joy, you know, and, and then I think it like makes it so we don't, we can't be so isolated anymore, you know? Oh, right. No, because it, it, it then is a shared collective yeah. discussion and a shared collective embrace of what is. And that's, I mean, it's so beautiful. And so I think that while also being there, mm-hmm. two things really started to shift for me because I took my first ever Italian philosophies class and because you had to take one to, you know, just kind of be enrolled in Rome. And so I'm like, all right, Italian philosophies, what <laughs> else can I, what else can I gather while I'm here? Well, I started learning the teachings of a, a guy called Marcus Aurelius and his teachings on Stoicism. In college, I wish I could have learned that in college. Right? Yeah. I was doing like math, <laughs> finance, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> You mean you didn't have like a a European uh, summer? No, no gap year, no semester abroad. (laughs) I did a I did a university degree in Lethbridge, Alberta, not like Rome. Let's just put that out. Beautiful, wonderful place. Now I'm not saying everybody (laughs) needs to go to Rome or Europe in order to have a full transformation. But (laughs) But if you're gonna do a transformation, Europe's a good place. You might as well go there. I mean, you might as well. Yet. Uh, so while I was learning about this guy, this kid, Marcus Aurelius, and how one of the concepts that really stuck with me at 20 years old, and that would forever change this period of time where I really felt like, oh, why did this happen to me? Uh, it was the Amor Fati. When, when he, they shared the concept my teachers, they shared the concept of the Amor Fati, which means love of one's fate. So Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics believed that we would love everything that happens to us, good or bad, because there's mm. always a greater intention. And so that 
stuck with me because that was the first thing that allowed me to start seeing it from a different light. Instead of asking why me, ask why not me. And I remember vividly there was this exercise that he had us do this reflective exercise because it's Italian philosophies. And I couldn't speak Italian, but you know, obviously I was writing it in English. And it was write down all the things that happened that were bad in your life and what was the opposite. Mm. And honestly, it's one of the exercises. It's actually, I put it in the book from that time, but it's also in the actual workbook. Here's the workbook. <laughs> I love a book that you can get a workbook too. Well, it's I think like, I want to work through these things. Well, because here in, in, in the book, you know, you can only go so deep, but I think that well, at least what was coming to me when I wanted to write this, I wanted to write this. I have two small kids and I wanted to write this knowing that what could my four-year-old pay attention to? Not that he's going to really go through the concepts. We're not that much of tiger parents here. <laughs> <laughs> but when he gets older or if we share, because I created these conversation cards as well, yeah, what, what we share at the dinner table, like you know, and so powerful and just, just one question a day to actually build that ritual. But then when he gets to be eight or nine, maybe he can start journaling. Well, what happened in my day? What could have been better? How did that make me feel? So really attuning to him in that way in when they actually get older, right? And him and actually my daughter as well. So that was kind of the envision that I had in my mind when I wanted to create something that was going to support, but also break down some of these concepts and actually go deeper the and have fun. Ways. So the Amor Fati, the love of one's fate, really shifted my... Did it change everything I mean, in how you saw the loss? Or did it take a bit? Like how did... So, I mean, honestly, it was instant. It... Mm. It was it was instant because it like it's almost like everything snapped into place. Mm. It's like one of those truths that that uh, puts the pieces of the puzzle together. It at least gives purpose to pain. You know, I think that's. I don't know the other pro, the other way to process pain is to say there's no purpose in this and there's nothing I can learn from it. I just don't think that's as everyone has the right to their process. Right. I just don't. I'm like. That's not empowering. Like, that's not setting us free in some sense. Well, I mean, that kind of holds you hostage to that pain. And it holds you hostage to the fact that if that pain happens again, because eventually it will and inevitably it will, because this is part of the human experience, (laughs) you're just going to, it's almost like we're blinded by the pain and we're not going to. We're not going to go, you know, peer and look beyond and see what else could be there. It's almost like taking personal responsibility as well of, all right, how how am I showing up in this? And so the analogy that's coming up for me right now in this moment is, you know, if you've ever taken uh, just a pot of boiling water, you know, before you put the noodles in or the rice in, you set the stove on and you, you know, turn it on high and basically the water starts to boil and you have a choice. You can put your hand in there mm-hmm. and <laughs> obviously burn it. But as soon as your fist will touch that water, you will have those pain receptors to tell you, turn off the heat, move the pot away and 
let's not burn your hand. You already right. know immediately. Instantaneous. Yeah, so why wouldn't we think that the pain that we're feeling, whether it's the sorrow, the sadness, the depths of the, the feelings of burnout, the fact that we feel defeated or lost, is they're all they're valid and they're they're signals. They're actually indications. They're messengers saying, "Hey, we've got to work through this. We've got to we've got to really bring this up." And so during that time was was uh, really one of the ways that I was able to experience. I didn't know back then what it was, but yeah, I was having fun, but I was also allowing myself to grieve. And that's how I even started my journaling practice. Because, mm. I mean, why not start it in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> Did you do it in Italian? <laughs> Didn't do it in Italian. In fact, I still do not know any Italian. <laughs> But I'm one of those that when you go to a country, I could probably assimilate really fast. Because when I was there, I was definitely speaking conversational Italian. But you ask me now. I, I don't that makes know. sense because you're immersed in it. You're immersed the in it. The brain too, like the amount of yeah. the neuroplasticity of being in the language and not having a choice because you got to find belonging and community. Yeah. So in the, how does someone go from being in the suck, mm-hmm. but it actually... I guess, sort of marinating in it, which I would imagine is somewhat useful to be in it. But how do you hold the paradox of both, you know, being in it and... Let me just give a contextual example. During, there's a framework that I talk about in the book called Fly Forward. And we've already talked about the sucks and the magical moments that sucked. And now when you actually have a fall, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a loss, whether maybe it's a loss of an identity, if you've just had a career shift or a career change, or maybe you got fired from your job, you didn't get the promotion that you wanted, you have this sense of fall. And that's step one. Something unexpected has rocked your world. You got a medical diagnosis. You got really sick. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. Mm -hmm. So we go into our own response of fight, flight, freeze, right? Are we going to take action? That me on December 31st, was I going to stay in that relationship? What are we going to do? Am I going to just continue on and not say something to the friend that betrayed me? And I'm just going to sit and ruminate in these feelings and these emotions of resentment? Or am I going to take the next step? And so the next step would essentially be stage two and stage two in that ignite or the ignition. It's that spark. It's kind of like, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually do something about this. I'm not going to sit in that suck. Majority of people... They'll, they'll, they'll be that addicted to the pain. And, and, you know, we all have that friend who's like pity party for one. (laughs) Give give me, give me some more. (laughs) I'm back here again. I want to talk more about my suffering. Also pity party of three or four sometimes. It's very true. You can, you can have a really good pity party. And there's a, there's a a story of one of my clients in the book. Uh, She gets ghosted for the first time pre and she's going through a breakup and she's she's actually one of my clients former clients but she she decides that you know no one was ever going to love her again no she's not worthy and she goes back into all of her patterns of like self-sabotage 
So much so that, you know, her coping mechanism was retail therapy. And so, you know, she just buys a handbag and brings three of her other girlfriends to wallow in that sack. Because why? Because that's, that. it feels good. It feels good to get addicted to that. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, to invalidate your feelings. Totally wholeheartedly go ahead and feel the feels. We've got processes to do that. But... When we are addicted to sticking in the suck, when we're not even looking at our own reality of, well, is this really true? Am I not lovable? And I think it's something that you say a lot as well, is really going into that introspection of ourselves and to date ourselves and and to really say, well, actually that that isn't true. I can count on one hand at least a few people that love me, right. including myself, <laughs> yeah. hopefully myself. And, and in Pre's story, I resonate a lot with that because I think for so many of us going through a big breakup or a big fall, we think that's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. We think that we're never going to find love again. We think that, how am I ever going to climb out of this mess? How am I ever going to climb out yeah, of this It's hard suck? to see the way out. And you can't see and, and you can't, it's kind of like that me on December 31st. It was so uncertain, right? But you know that there's something inside of you that needs to shift and make a change. And that spark, that's what leads you. So that stage two is that spark. And that leads you to make a different decision. And I say a different decision because it's not one that you normally would make. Mm. So like me on December 31st, I packed my bags and I left that house. I left that life. I left everything that I knew like that time where, you know, I, I applied to go to study abroad in Italy. I knew exactly that was was, shift. That was the shift. That was the ignition. So, you know, that maybe you sign up for working with a coach or a therapist, or you say yes to that yoga teacher training, or you go to that breath work that your friend's been telling you about, or you sign up for that course. You're doing something that is going to make it. It could be a small shift, but that small shift could lead into Mm, stage three. Stage three is like rising and the rising stage is what you're talking about. It's embracing the duality of both feelings because you're maybe reserved at maybe trusting other people because maybe you had a bad breakup. Maybe there was infidelity. Maybe something was going on and, and maybe you're not really trusting yourself, but you're actually curious. You're reserved and you're curious. You're open yet you're skeptical you are still grieving and mourning, but you're also finding silvers of joy at the same time. And it's this uncertain part because you're still wobbly from that fall. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get up. And you're also starting to see this renewed strength in you that's so different because you're leaning into the idea of curiosity. And then we get into that magnifying stage where the complexity of those emotions, they don't go away. They're there. They're full. They're there. But now, because you've built that initial sense of confidence, you know that it's okay to lean into that discomfort. You do more of that. And what could that look like? Well, it could look like having more difficult conversations with people that you love. Mm-hmm. It could look so like true. making agreements with people that maybe you want to spend more time with, or maybe it's a new love that you're kind of like, okay, I'm not going to make some of the same mistakes before, yet I'm going to honor myself this time. 
And maybe if I want a partner that's honest, I'm going to be honest. If I want a partner that's vulnerable, instead of thinking that they're going to read my mind, I'm actually going to go first. And I'm going to say, hey, this is what I want. And take me as I am. And if you can't meet me where my needs are, okay, great. I think most of the time we just don't have that vocabulary. Yeah, it's so true. And we don't know how to even lean into the discomfort of saying what our needs are because we're so taught, our human condition is taught, well, we want to we wanna please, we want to belong, we want to feel accepted, we want to feel love. And so we'll sometimes diminish our light just to meet the other person's needs, but maybe that can happen. And this is what we do in that magnifying stage where we are no longer afraid to share those boundaries. And then step five to thrive, the thriving stage is not that, oh my gosh, I'm going to live this flourishing life and nothing bad's ever going to happen. <laughs> it's like back to step one, right? Like, <laughs> it, it really it, is. It, it basically it? is. It's like, oh, okay. The universe is like, nope, actually there's, there, there's, there's some more work there. And the next time you fall, it might not be as grand or big, maybe Maybe then you're catching yourself in a different way or you have a little bit more awareness and more perspective. And that's the beauty of it, that you actually have this intuitive sense and there's a part of you that's integrating the pieces that maybe you didn't accept in yourself before because you know you're just human. You're doing the best that you can and you're a little bit more gentle. And that's where the gentleness and the softness comes from what I call the the audacious resiliency. Because the theme of the book is, yes, resiliency and strength. But in order to have that strength, there has to be your agility, right? If we take Latin, for example, resilience in Latin means resiliere, which means to bounce. Mm. It doesn't mean that if I have a glass here and I take that glass of water and I let it go, well, that glass is going to shatter. But then you're like, wait, no, but neither that glass is strong. It's tough. It's resilient. It's all of the things that I was told when I was little, by the way. Mm. But yet it breaks versus a ball that bounces. It has a little bit of give. It has a little bit of that softness, the agility And that's what we need to cultivate more of. And in the thriving stage, you are tender with yourself and you're also, you're not judging yourself. There's no self-critique anymore because you're like, I'm a work in progress Mm. and that's all that matters. And that allows you to fly forward. You're allowing yourself to uh, be flexible, to be in the space of, I, I think too, allowing yourself to win. That's such a rare thing. So often we don't let ourselves have the joy, have the... I think too, if we experience loss, like you're talking about these mm-hmm. losses that are so part of our human experience, it's it's like the if I cultivate joy again or connection or love or open up in relationship again, what happens if it gets taken? Yeah, you know, and I think what you're saying too is we become the source of it, so it actually can't be taken. Like it's not dependent on our life circumstances. We take our life circumstances and create from that, which is. I mean, we're not taught that, you know, generally. I'd say, you know, your kids are pretty lucky. They're going to be taught that. And I think (laughs) in general, people listening to the pod, you know, heads up, acknowledgement, you know, we're all doing that work of learning how do we 
how do we turn our mess into this beautiful garden that we grow with and fertilize? I do think that learning the framework, like in the workbook and, and through the book, gives us the tools, the strategies, and the structure. Mm-hmm. And as we work through something that we're going through, we then have the template. You know, like if you can rise from something, then you know you can rise from anything. I mean, ultimately, that's true. I, when Kylie and I broke up, mm-hmm. I was deep in the pain. You were in the suck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know I'm going to be okay. Like, this isn't the first time I've been in pain. Yeah. And I know the tools to get out of this. But man, finding the joy in the deepest of loss, you're kind of like, oh man, this hurts so much. And you're like, Yay! Yeah, it's like a small little cheerleader. Like, you're like, and, and, and then you you put on like a Netflix episode, and then you're like, okay, small momentary dose of yeah. of happiness, but then you're still in the suck, and it sucks. Right? It, it sucks to feel the pain of a breakup. The ignition point I'm interested in because, you know, I witness, know a lot of people who go through, whether it's relationally or uh, work or Mm -hmm. their purpose or having a hard conversation, that they stay in this ambivalent space, you know, of I'm not Mm -hmm. in action, which is, you know, I remember hearing not making a choice is a choice. Mm -hmm. Like we do get rewarded by ambivalence. Yeah. Uh, And if we've never witnessed someone speak their voice, liberate themselves, then we don't necessarily know the path. And I think that's one of the hard things of inheriting patterns like that in families, which I think most of us do because most of our parents were not free to make choices to, you know, for many reasons, cultural, financial, many. Mm -hmm. What tipped the scales Mm -hmm. for Nitha before December 31st, who's like suffering and Mm -hmm. in it, to Nitha, December 31st, packs her bags and it's like, no more. Mm. So, yeah, I think the, the pain, honestly, has to get so, it has to get so bad in order for you to move away from your reality, whatever mm. that is. Because there were many times where I stayed and I stuck in that reality. And for anyone that's listening, it's not to invalidate anybody that's ever been, you know, a, a victim of domestic violence or has been in a toxic relationship yeah, before or who's ever been, you know, slighted yeah. before, right? It's and easy to stay in the familiar patterns. It's, it's scary. Easy. There's so much going on. Yeah. Who who wants to step out? Because as humans, we, so don't, terrifying. we don't like uncertainty. Are yeah. you kidding me? There's no... And and for for me, that was the last time I would allow him to strike his fist over my face. And so with that, I had, and that's where I was looking at the mirror that day and seeing myself. And I'm like, how did you get here? It's like having this internal dialogue finally, where I'm just looking at my, I can see myself and I'm sobbing. And I hadn't allowed myself to even sob for so many years because I grew up thinking with my, you know, Asian parents that you, you don't cry about these things. You don't cry 
you know, there's, I'll give you something to cry about, right? Mm. So those feelings were not appreciated. Those feelings weren't welcomed. So for me to actually break down in this way, I felt like, oh my gosh, the floodgates Mm. are starting to open. Like an acceptance of your own feelings, finally. Finally. And not trying to hide them, not trying to shove it under a rug, not trying to distract, not trying to overachieve, not trying to do. Mm, That's a powerful moment to like meet the moment where you have no choice but to accept the reality of your emotions. You're like, this. yeah, it, this yeah. is it. And you need them. You know, I think that's the other thing about grief, rage, all of that, even disappointment. It's like, uh, you know, I think of how emotion to evoke motion. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's fascinating culturally, societally, that we don't place value on feelings right. like grief, you know, that you, there's something wrong with you and if you need you to fix grieving. that or silence yeah. it. Rage, anger, you know, all these very important emotions mm-hmm. to rescue and reclaim our wholeness, ourselves. And we don't, we're not like, oh my God, you're sad? Like you said about the fist in the water. Right. It's like, no one ever said, oh yeah, well, if you're sad, that means it's like your fist in water, you should change something. I never heard that. Did you ever hear that? No. I missed no. that fucking class. <laughs> it's like actually turn off the heat, move it. And, right. and that's your indication that you need to sit with the emotion. It's almost like the stove needs to be turned turn. up so much, even though we have so many warning signs. And that's what I said. The stove had to be turned up so high. The pain needs to be so high where you're kind of like, oh my gosh, it's the, you know, the smoke's coming out of the pot. Right. And it's like... Scalding all of you instead of just, (laughs) yeah. I think that is an interesting metaphor because that it, when we don't acknowledge the hand in the water, Mm -hmm. it just becomes so much more. And, you know, I I think for a lot of people, including I say formerly me, Mm -hmm. although that's not always true, I was about to say, I'm out of that one. (laughs) (laughs) The universe gives me a nice little slap, gets me back in place. The idea that it, it hurts so much we have to. I think that is true till we're woken up to being accepting of our feelings, right? Like where we're validating them instead of waiting for mom or dad or society to be like, your sadness is so valid. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, it's that, you know, what this, what scientists say, the internal locus of control versus the external locus of control. Most of us are conditioned to have this external locus of control where we are validated by the external world, our community, society, family, friends, what we see on TV, and and we want to be just like that versus folks who have a general internal locus of control where they are only looking within for their answers. They are needing just the validation of themselves. And that, they've done Mm. studies. And folks who have a greater internal locus of control are more are generally more successful in their life. And and you determine whatever success is, Mm -hmm. right? But I mean, it totally makes sense because oh, we're we're leaning into our intuition at this point and knowing, well, what is good for us? And I think that's that journey back to ourself where, like you're saying, reclaiming parts of ourself, reclaiming parts of are the emotions that were buried in for a really long time. And I want to share this with you too, because this book wasn't just sparked because of all of the sucks that happened. 
I had to know and experience the contrast. And I didn't experience the contrast honestly until I found my love again. I got married and I actually had my first child mm. because it was a full circle moment. I have a whole chapter. Oh, wow, that's cool. At the end of the book that really talks about the whole birth journey and uh, and I won't go into it as much because I know you're going into the portal. Of, oh, I can't wait to hear of, this. Yeah. Of, of your own birth. I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> so podcast so is going to change after uh, the birth of my child. So I would say <laughs> don't read that last chapter. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Just wait yeah. until baby is here. <laughs> for everybody else listening, you can read that last chapter. They're like, what's Mark in for? Yeah, don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> and, but... To know the other side of that is there's joy, but it's messy AF and there is a lot of chaos. And I never knew how much rage I had. And I don't share this a lot, but I feel like because we were talking about the parts of ourselves where we don't really experience that rage. And I'm like a recovering people pleaser and that's who I am. Me too. You this know, podcast is actually a support group for people pleasers. Welcome. I, I My name is Mark. <laughs> Here's what I do. Yeah. 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 And, and for us people pleasers, we it's like, I you know, people used to say, well, what do you do with that anger? I'm like, what do you mean anger? I don't experience <laughs> Can I help you anger? with your anger? Do you have an anger problem? You've got an anger problem. Here's some sugar. That's what I use. Do you want a Slurpee? <laughs> so true. <laughs> Where I needed to reconcile because people think, especially when you're in the postpartum phase, mm. you know, I, I remember, uh, and, and God bless my brother, like I love him. But he's like, gosh, why are are you so crazy right now? You know, and I'm like, yeah, it's hormones. But there's a reason why they make so many memes around like women in postpartum because it is, we we are feeling the expansion of our emotions. And that was the first time I would I feel- only, I can only imagine. I mean, you're, you're, you're in for it. I'm witnessing my partner and I'm just like, how <laughs> do you do it? You're growing a baby. You have so many hormones moving around. I'm I'm probably driving you a bit nuts sometimes with my humor. I can totally see that. I rap to the baby sometimes. That's cute. Yeah. One of my favorite raps is Go for it. We did the boom boom to get you in the womb womb. <laughs> She's not it's gonna be a really hot single. It's coming out soon. If Drake, if you wanna buy the the the, the rights to it. Rights to that. Yeah. I got you. I only got those two lines. It's pretty I'm good. Sure I can come up with not bad, right? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's probably not going to be used for uh, kids. I'm just going to throw that out there. And it's even better when you say it with a cowboy hat, with the like oh, yeah. slight Matthew like McConaughey like right. voice. I should do it like, we were in the pickup truck. You know, because country songs are always about beer, trucks, mud, the mm. boom boom. Nah, the heartbreak boom, boom. usually. Oh, heartbreak. Yeah, heartbreak is big. Yeah, it's it is. Big. Okay, so getting back though. <laughs> The portal, right? Like being in that hormonal, you were talking about being in the hormonal I mean, a huge, huge shift because my rage would come up really fast and then I would experience joy. And it would be Hmm. seeing, you know, it would be seeing my kid and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I created, like, you know, this created life and he's right here and it's amazing. But it was, there was so much of this, anger that I felt like I needed to really explore and feel. And 
I, it was uncontrollable. And But there's a whole like umbrella under postpartum depression. And I definitely was in it for sure. I was in it a lot longer than I was with Isla, but I definitely was was in that because you don't realize when you are in the suck of something until obviously when you're out of it, right. which yeah, is why that pain so shows us that, oh, wow, boy, that was a hard season. Like, wow, when I, we were really in it for those three months of not getting along, we were really in it because you've lived through the other side to experience the the complexity of whatever that time was, right? And so for me in writing this book, it was, wow, I lived through a lot of loss and a lot of hardship and a lot of like mic drop moments of like, okay, you know, sucker punch, like pit in the stomach. Oh my God, is is somebody going to die again today? Moments. And then fast forward to, oh, wow, I, created this the life, birth of life and the birth of life and and just like oh my gosh re, you know creating my own family and and yet those moments that I fell or the fall and got into my bouts of rage it was because I was also reliving parts of my childhood where I couldn't express yeah where all of that where did it have any place to go and so when you brought up like, you know, being able to, I mean, what I call really integrate parts of ourselves that we've either neglected or they're dormant because maybe at one point somebody said that is not acceptable. I am not going to pay attention to you. If you keep up with that behavior, you keep doing that. You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I want to say that to my son, but then I, I remember and I'm like, oh, <laughs> crap. Yeah. Oh, the, the teachers. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do hard parenting. I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna just let him feel his feels. <laughs> but this is the reason why I, I wrote it. I remember my son being two. Ari, he was two years old, and I was pregnant with my daughter, and I was throwing up ten times a day. I kid you not. It was, it was. Oh man, was the craziest, gnarliest time, and he was expressing his full range of emotions. And while, you know, they say that cliche is like, they, they're your your greatest, wisest teachers and you're going to be saying that a, I said a it whole once bunch. Already. Yeah. You did, yeah. Because mm-hmm. gonna... I did learn a great lesson from my 14-month-old nephew, but yeah. He's 14 months. I mean, that's the best age. Because they're not really quite at two and they're not really like, they're not babies anymore. <laughs> yeah, like he's not saying no a lot. Yeah, he's starting to find that word though. Mm-hmm. He's, his individuation is en route. It's I coming. can feel it. Yeah. It's coming. That's coming. So it's really great. They're like viable yeah. in that way. It's, it's cute. When he was having his 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 meltdowns, I had to learn how to re-regulate my nervous system through the chaos, Oof. through the screaming, through the wow, when I was young, when I was crying, everyone wanted me to shut up and like Mm. shut me down and there's no place for that. Mm, So your rage. And so the rage would come up and the like, and so when my son was doing all this, it took so much work internally. And that's really what gave birth to this book because it was a whole 
you know, it wasn't about grief anymore. It was like, we're having these falls every day. I'm having to ignite (laughs) in every moment. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna repeat patterns of my parents. I'm not gonna, and I'm gonna allow. And that's a, you know, it's a harder way to parent because you're also reparenting yourself. Yeah, the integration's happening in real time. That I've never thought of that. That's really fascinating. Because the, you're talking about big ignite moments like December 31st versus these micro ones that it's a tiny little micro matter. moments they build up to absolutely maybe not passing down getting to a December 31st for someone you know i think you're in real time epigenetically changing like i think that's wow it's it's big it's no wonder it's, that that's that rage too it, it's so transformative mm-hmm. you know i the awareness of big choices like your December 31st choice. And I've had, you know, choices where to leave or stay or to leave the job or stay or whatever. And when you finally get to the place where you're like, I found that often I was looking for an answer to be anything but what I knew. Mm -hmm. And so there was a real positive intention of getting more information gathering. Yeah. But no matter how much more information I got, I just it would never pull me away from a knowing. Mm. I think I was looking for approval or validation. Like, it's okay. You'll still be loved if Mm -hmm. you choose this versus this. But I think about that ignition that occurs. And when you do, in my experience, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, Mm. when I really made one of the biggest choices to follow myself at the cost of being loved by people around me, I also felt a ton of grief and I'd say rage too, because I then had to, I could see all of the past of my life through the lens of someone who can choose for themselves. And then I was like, wait, I haven't chosen, but I have, right? Like Mm -hmm. taking responsibilities, like I've chosen to get here. Right. But so much of it was conditioning. So much Mm -hmm. of it was people pleasing or silencing myself or wanting to just go along to get along. Yep. I feel like that's just a constant unlayering and a constant learning. But man, I I just remember the grief. It still happens actually now when I have a new awareness. There's a grieving of how long I've sat Mm -hmm. in knowing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I knew, but I didn't know enough. And that's the judgment though, too. Yeah, it's true. That's the judgment of like, oh man, I knew that. Thank you for telling me. (laughs) Growing in real time with Mark Groves. it's all of the feelings right it's the it's the parts of us where yeah we're we're getting to grow and I feel like you only have that exponentiate when you do have a little one and and or if you're around you know, if, if, if any, any of you listeners or watch, watch those of you watching spend some time with a child, there's not like a, you know, place where you can go. But I mean, if you have a chance, you will see that it is the greatest mirror for ourselves because, and you'll just see when you're actually in an airplane, I was, I, I flew over here to be with you today and there was a baby crying on the plane because that's what they do. And you, and this flight was from New York. So you've got, you know, the New York energy. I was just on this flight. Same baby, I think. <laughs> Same baby. <laughs> this Same baby. mom just flying back and forth, tormenting us. But you can hear the, like, 
somebody was making those noises. And I'm just like, clearly they're not okay with a screaming baby. But Oh, they were like self-soothing or something? No, th- there's somebody that was making noises after like because the the baby was like crying like in an irritated way oh, like another oh, passenger oh wow clearly they haven't spent I have time. seen that I saw a lady kind of lose it once on a plane when, when a, she booked a seat and then the other a couple did and and they had their baby and you know how I'd never seen this before but mm. on those front seats that face the wall they sometimes have a bassinet spot mm-hmm. I didn't know this yeah so they pull out the bassinet I'm like oh cool cute little baby this other lady did not have the same response. She was like, I didn't want to sit beside a baby. First off, the baby hasn't even cried yet. <laughs> the baby's just chilling. Mom and dad are like, you know. You and know. this lady already dysregulated, already thinking about how her flight's ruined. Yeah, it's whenever I see parents. And I started to do this ages ago when my friends had kids. Mm. Is I just started to see like. No one's trying to get a baby to keep people up on a plane. Like, I feel so much for the parent. Right? Yeah. Right? But there are some people who are not okay with the crying. But that has everything to do with how you were brought up to think that the crying is not okay. Right. It's not distress. Yeah. It's it's why, why are they crying? Well, it's it's the allowance of that in being around children you get to see okay how how do you react and that's why i love the allowing us to embrace the joy in our chaos many times our chaos can be in our heads what we're overthinking what we're overanalyzing what we're judging ourselves for what we didn't do or we, we did do but allowing ourselves to actually sit with that and to say yeah it, it's all okay. It's all... Did you see that movie? Everything, everywhere, all at once? Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. Wow. I'm happy I didn't eat psilocybin before that because that <laughs> that was like being on... It's a, that was that was a plant medicine journey. It's such a good movie. It was such a plant medicine I need to watch journey. it again, actually. I watched Inception again. Oh. Which was really incredible so to good. see again. Uh, and Because I'd only seen it once and it was years ago. Mm-hmm. But to really sit with what was trying to be said and what's so reality... Many, and it's like so Interstellar, too. That's a mind fuck. Oh, I didn't see that yet. Oh, man. Okay. There is that human complexity. There is the real the time timelines. and all the timelines. But when we're even thinking of, and we're talking a lot about the ignition, but even in our life of like, when you have a big ignite moment or just even in the daily of like, am I going to yell at my partner again for not doing the dishes or... Oh, did they do this thing again? Mm-hmm. Or they screwed up in my in, in my in in my way of taking care of my kid or or whatever the case is, right? But am I going to do that or am I going to just be okay with with here's what the reality is and I'm gonna just sit in it and embrace it all happening all at the same time. Like I'm feeling anxious, but I'm also feeling maybe compassionate, but you know, my reaction probably is not like that. And so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful, and I think that movie is, if you haven't seen it, it's a... It's well worth watching. It's well done. I, I found too, like when I was sitting on the plane the other day, I was thinking about the baby crying. Mm. And I was thinking about how irritated I was at the sound of the baby crying. And I was like, well, 
this is because it's con it's in conflict with my expectation that it should be silent and not if you're listening and you're like I like silent planes this I'm not negating your experience you're allowed to desire a silent plane they should maybe have adult only flights sometimes <laughs> you know like they do for resorts that's true yeah you know so I you're allowed to have your preferences we're not shaming that but it was interesting to be with that you know and I love Byron Katie's the work oh, where gosh. it's like so good uh, is it true? Can you know it's true? And then you do the opposite. And I was like, the baby shouldn't be crying. And I was like, was that true? No, that's definitely not true. The baby should be crying. You know, and then I, I, mm. I just love starting to use these moments as opportunities to see how our own expectations, even of suck, create just more suck. And I've re- been really curious. And the reason I asked you more about the Ignite moment Mm. I used to work as a rep in oncology and hematology. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, and I was Mm -hmm. so fascinated by, I sat once in, uh, I did this preceptorship with an oncologist. Mm. And I sat in the room when he told a man that he was going to die. And the GP just hadn't communicated it with the man. And there was like, so the oncologist thought he was coming in. And he was with his wife. He thought he was coming in already knowing that mm-hmm. this was terminal. So I was sitting there observing and I was in that moment was just like my capacity to hold that had to, I'd never been in a moment like that, wow. you know, um, with someone I didn't know, you yeah, know, there was a lot to it. And did you feel like you needed to like break the ice or say something? No, no, no. As a rep, you don't say anything. Of course you are not. A, you're a you're painting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Uh, but I, I learned a lot working in that space because I was very fascinated by psychological. I was already deep in wanting to understand human behavior, mm-hmm. but I was really fascinated by how when someone finds out something like that, all of a sudden, you know, they talk about survivorship. All of a sudden people thrive. Mm-hmm. When they know when they might die, then all of a sudden... They're done with bullshit. And, you know, I would think like if we all dated like we're 45, we wouldn't fuck around, right? That's true. Like if we just brought our zero fucks, like the right fucks. Right. Behavior to 25, you know, because mm. the challenge is we think we have time. And then, you know, I didn't make that up. That's a great quote by, I think, Rumi. But <laughs> everything's from Rumi. Everything. It might not be, but it is now. So, but what's really fascinating about that is as soon as we realize we don't, then now everything that matters to us comes. And so I was really mm. interested by what can ignite. Mm. Like, why do we have to wait? Mm. And I agree with you that there's like a capacity that we hit that is probably the inherited capacity of dysregulation, sure. of sure. behavior patterns, of, you know. All of it. Till we crack, till the coping mechanisms can't hold anymore, mm. till the boat breaks, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, fuck it. I think of the movie Joy. Have you seen Joy? Oh, gosh, yes. Like she, that is, I think, such a great model movie of shattering codependency. Oh, gosh, yes. Because she just hits, and I think like probably most women can mm-hmm. relate to that mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. probably a lot of men too. Totally. On both sides. But man, I'm like, that's it. We like, all of a sudden we're like, oh, and we need that rage. That's why I think mm-hmm. it's so interesting to start to, like rage that's not clean is destructive. It's not what you, how you experience it. Like, 
for most people, we imagine or we see these memes that somebody is just like, you know, taking a baseball bat and like right. bashing other people's with the cars. Thing in the background. Have oh, you ever yes. seen that meme? Oh yeah. Where she's oh, walking yeah. away. She's lighting stuff up. It's it's what we do mm-hmm. after the rage. And you know, I have a beautiful practice in the book. It's a whole emotional embodiment practice. And because this was inspired, I mean, this was inspired because of my kids, right? Yeah. Having my my child wanting ice cream for breakfast uh, when that's he was a, two years old. Great. I mean, I get it. Really? Not a great nutritional choice, but okay. as a kid, that's, I, mean, I get it. I mean, every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get why a kid wants ice cream for breakfast. I mean, I, 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 I get it too. And I kind of do. I, it's... But I'm not going to. But yeah, and and you know, since their prefrontal cortex is definitely not there, they're like, "Bye." <laughs> they're yeah. like, "I'm having it now. I want it now, Mama." And so, and with a little <laughs> attitude, <laughs> just I to add, just to, to it, add. Yeah. And so, I needed a different coping mechanism, and one of the ways that I allowed our son or to. To, to have this healthy expression of rage was I actually turned on and this is a, it's inspired by another story and I'll share that in a second, but I would turn on this song called, and it's the most ridiculous song, but it's called Cats and Boots. So, you know, definitely add it to your playlist along with the cowboy stuff. Uh, Cats and Boots, the dinosaur yeah. dance. And is this a kid song? This is a kid song, but it's 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 like an EDM kid song. Oh, it's like how they cartoons are really for parents now. Mm-hmm. It's like the same idea. It's kind of like that. Glow sticks and kids. oh, it's it's but it's like dance like a pterodactyl dance like a pterodactyl. Oh, that's cool. oh it's it's stomp like a T Rex stomp like it's it's hysterical. And so I would turn the song on, and I'm like Ari, let's stomp like a dinosaur and let's stomp and shake like a dinosaur because we're so mad and we're going to roar it out. And so he would stomp and he would roar and we would set the timer because, you know, those songs are only two minutes. But guess what would happen? Well, he would get out of his rage and he, it would transmute into laughing. And what does oh, laughing great, yeah. do? Laughing activates our vagus nerve because we're, you know, expressing from our mouth, right? It's safe. Yeah. And so that was the initial beginning of what I now do on stages with 500 people and everyone is doing that exact song. I actually have some clips on social media. I owe you for the virality of that song now. Oh, it's hysterical. I tell everybody the song and they're like, you know, people who haven't had kids are like, what? And I'm like, listen, when we're doing our own embodiment or rage or dance practice, if you didn't grow up with dance, you're not going to want to do it. If you're so self-conscious or you judge yourself, you're not going to want to stomp out the sock. But if we make it so ridiculous where you can then embody that emotion and you can actually bring that emotion that you're feeling or the time that you got slighted from a friend or the fact that you were supposed to get that promotion but didn't or you got fired and you're feeling all these feelings of anger coming up, you can actually allow yourself to feel and then anchor that suck and start chanting and saying, that suck, now what? But then you can also play maybe a, a little fun dancey dance. That's so powerful. Like cats and boots. I gotta try this. Dance. 
Oh, I'm going to send you a video. Oh it's, my, I can't it, wait there's to see a real, it. it's a whole, it's a whole thing. So what was the other story you were going to tell? I didn't want to so, miss that. So yeah, so the, the, um, the birth of this practice was, and you'll appreciate this. So this is, I gave birth to my, my daughter because I, we don't have family around. Obviously we live in Austin, Texas now and Ajit's parents live in India and my family is in Chicago, but I knew this time around I wanted to do something different. And with with this birth and actually take the time and and really honor my body and honor myself and in, in this in this time capsule of ours for two or three months. And and so I told Ajit, I said, okay, after you know, these next three months, when we get out of the infant newborn bubble of, you know, the diaper changing and everything. Let's just go out on, you know, a night on the town because I was already thinking ahead. I'm like, I'm imagining myself. I'm envisioning myself that I'm going to put a cute little dress on and we're going to have a really nice night out. And because now things started to get real after having two kids and my son had a really crazy transition of 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 having the sibling that and so it was just a whole awkward situation and and it was a beautiful time but it's also you know I was I was nursing every 90 minutes and it was also the same time that I actually sold the the my book to the publisher so it was so wild you're birthing a lot of things I was birthing a lot of things I wasn't writing the book yet but definitely a lot of the stories it were was coming writing up. itself at oh, this point. It, just, yeah. the, it was just flowing. The downloads were flowing. So fast forward, long story short, I, I did everything I could to create this perfect date. And I try to get babysitters. I was, you know, I was in the Facebook moms groups because that's a big thing, trying to find the college students nearby. And I had basically a whole list of, you know, people who could potentially support us for our little date night out. And I find this amazing, have you ever done the dinner in the dark? No, but I know it where you, where it's completely pitch black. Where's yeah, and they have that you, in they, Vancouver. And they give you like a whole, you know, the, the blindfolds to go. And it's all about, you know, activating your sensory. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a sensory experience, right? And they're whispering to you in your ears. I haven't done it, but I've heard it's really crazy, like cool. So Ish. thanks to me, I found the perfect date experience. I got the last table on the last day that they were going to be in Austin. And so I was so excited, found my my dress, my black heels. Babysitter? Got the babysitter. Okay. okay. I was worried Amazing. about that still. Got the babysitter. Okay. And so the day comes and, you know, we're, I'm, I'm getting all ready and got my red lipstick on and we're ready to go. And I have all of my to-dos for the babysitter to come because it was going to be the first time I leave my kids with somebody new. So I wanted to make sure that she had everything she needed and that they were going to be okay. It was only going to be three hours, really like four hours with the drive. But anyways, who's counting? So then arrives the time that she's supposed to come. And I had texted her in the morning and I'm like, Hey, are you, you going to, you, you got everything you need? She's like, yes, totally. I'm, I'm going to be there. And then five o'clock hits. She goes to you. She doesn't she doesn't even arrive. Five ten hits. Five fifteen. She's not hits. replying to messages. Not replying to texts. Not replying to messages. Not replying to my phone calls because I became one of those, and I was like, um, I know we live in an awkward 
part of town maybe? And did you get lost? In a cul-de-sac. It's easy to get lost. Google Maps in the, in the suburbs. can bring you exactly here, but you might not have Google Maps. You might have Apple Maps, and I recognize the challenge of that. <laughs> she doesn't show up. Wow. She doesn't show up after I had confirmed and confirmed and confirmed. So clearly my rage <laughs> is on yeah. and it's activated. <laughs> One star. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was pissed. I was like, oh, how could she do this? I texted her this morning. I got a verbal response. I talked to her on the phone. I can't believe it. And she called an hour after and just said, Actually, no, she didn't even call. She just texted, can't make it. I'm so sorry. That's it. That was it. So then I, so I'm obviously livid and I'm so angry and I start pacing around the house and I'm walking back and forth. I'm like, how could she do this? And I'm saying it out loud and I keep going in my head and I'm just saying the phrases and I'm acknowledging this really sucks. And so- Mm. And, and so my son says, what sucks, mama? Why are you stomping like a dinosaur? And that <laughs> just did it for me. <laughs> that just did it. And I said, mm. you know what? Because mama has big feelings right now. Mama really wanted to go on this date with Dada and now it's not going to happen. And so I said, you know what? Dada, let's go. Why don't you go get some ice cream? Ari, turn on that song. And he's like, Alexa, dinosaur. <laughs> dance by cats and boots. And so we started stomping to the dinosaur dance and we started stomping our heart out and we were stomping and then we started laughing and giggling and then it just turned into Mm. a really big party, but there burst the emotional release practice and the emotional release practice. And I'll just give you a... a, So essential to have a a practice. Yeah, it's, it's just a small, tiny little version of it, but this can be done anytime, anywhere. So the first part is pick a, you know, get, get a ridiculous song to do this with. <laughs> but to feel or bring up the experience that really made you upset or sad or frustrated, angry, rageful, and notice where you feel that. You could feel it in your head or chest or notice that you're not, you know, breathing fully, maybe in your belly maybe in your back, but then have an anchor and say, you can say that sucked. Now what? You want to have like a mantra that you're repeating or I am feeling this. And so after that, you want to actually acknowledge what sucked or what the feeling was holding that feeling and then turn on, turn on the the song. And get it rolling. And get it rolling. Let yourself be... Let yourself be in the suck, but you only actually need, let's just say, you know, something happens at work or something happened. You can actually put your, your headphones on. You can go in the car, you can go in, in the parking lot, wherever in the, in, in your, you know, bathroom stall. And you can actually, this practice can be 60 seconds for you to experience it, stomp it out, shake it out, move your body, mm-hmm. because obviously That's when we're moving it, we're just moving it and releasing it out of our body. And then when we're transforming it, the transformation of the suck could just be laughing. And I'm sure this audience has heard of laughing yoga. If you have not, 
You can definitely yeah, I've do heard it. Of it. On, it's so funny. On your you own. You gotta watch it because it is like you'll laugh watching laughing yoga. It's you have to just keep a playlist of laughing yoga on on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you all it. have that, but yeah. because it'll make you laugh, because that will open up the vagus nerve and that signifies rest and digest that it is safe to laugh. And guess what we're doing? We're transmuting it. We're shifting it. Well, Nitha, everybody is honored to be able to have you as a teacher. I've known you through this, almost all of the transition. You have, I know. Yeah, not How all crazy of it, is that? but I met you kind of right at the beginning after nine, your divorce. Nine years ago. Yeah, and Two as you were navigating. After. Yeah, and so I've had the absolute honor and privilege as your friend to witness you continue to do this beautiful work, beautiful self-inquiry. And what I love about you and your work is that you create frameworks for people to be able to walk what you've walked. And I really don't think there's a more powerful teacher than someone who's actually lived it. Teaching from a place of um, knowledge is very different than teaching and writing from a place of having been and being. So I honor you for that and acknowledge you. Thank you so much for seeing me, love. Now, where can people find... That sucked. Now what? If you're in the middle of the suck, I have the book for you. Yeah, where can they find it? <laughs> that sucked. Now what.com. Oh, well, that was easy. And I know that was a great URL, actually. Uh, and when you actually get the book or get it for a friend, you know, get it for somebody that you want to dive deeper with or for somebody maybe that you want to have a difficult conversation with. So you can practice doing that together. But you also get the workbook, which, you know, it's been such a labor of love to put this all together. I and I feel like it's, it's just beautiful. been so fun. But also I think it's just one of those tools that really allows you to explore your own healing on whatever capacity and plane you're in for whatever stage and season of life that you're in. And then you also get my five-day uh, fly forward meditation and visualization practice. And on day one, we start with healing our relationships. Well, that's fitting. I mean, might as well. Where can people find you? We'll link everything out. Absolutely. Uh, Neetha Bushin on, uh, on the IGs. That's where I hang out the most. And I do share my thoughts on the Brave Table, which we will have to have you on as well. When you cannot wait. When you come to Austin. <laughs> when I with, make my way back home, I look forward to it. I'm holding you to that. It would be an honor. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Mark. So fun. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.